0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Heal Thyself. Thank you for joining the show. Really good one coming up today. We have an awesome knowledge bomb on something super, super, super important. Pretty much the way that we are going with our health as far as fertility is down a very, very dark road. So I'm here to shed a little bit of light about what's going on, Why is it going on? And what are some of the solutions, right? You can't say something without some solutions, right? We need to know where we're going to go. Also, special, special guest, Dr. Michael Goran, he's coming in here and talking about sugar, sugar's effects on child, on child's cognitive behavior, on their overall health, on their gut health. How is sugar so ubiquitous in our food? How did it sneak in here? And what is the overall effect that it's happening that's going on with our children And what are some solutions? Again, solutions. Where are we finding solutions? How can we reduce the sugar consumption in our children? Help change their palate. Super, super important. He's going to talk about his new book, Sugarproof. And we're going in. We're diving right in. Let's get to this knowledge bomb. All right, everyone, the chemicals, the chemicals in our environment are affecting male and female fertility. We've known this for a while, but if you're looking to get pregnant now, and you know know someone who wants to get pregnant you got to understand there's certain factors that you may think are out of your hands or may not know of that are absolutely affecting fertility right and it's not just our own fertility it's our friends fertility right it's our other family members fertility it's happening throughout the world so to me outside of the stress and diet bubble i believe environmental toxins are the number 1 factor for fertility issues And let's dive into this. So very recently, the renowned Dr. Shana Swan, the environmental and reproductive epidemiologist. In other words, what she does is she looks how the environment affects reproduction through the lens of how many people are affected, what the distribution is, and how do we possibly control it? Well, anyway, recently she came out with her new book. Now you might've seen a headline that says, men's penises are shrinking or fertility is is at risk. Uh, Healthy fertility is at risk for the future, and it was it was it pretty much blew up the internet a few weeks ago. But her book, Countdown: How Our Modern World Is Threatening Sperm Counts, Altering Male and Female Reproductive Development, and Imperiling the Future of the Human Race, it, it it is not a doomsday headline. It is absolutely where we're going with this. So this is why I'm bringing this up with such uh, more impassioned than maybe another podcast is because it's really important for us to learn and listen. Now, you may not be you may not even be in the business right now of making a baby, right? But or you may have had children and said no more. But here's where we empower ourselves to tell each other, tell our friends, tell our family because this is a really important topic, right? It's about her book. It's about the ways in which chemicals in the modern environment are changing and endangering humans sexually overall and our fertility and it's on the grandest scale and i say we because it's really important that we're all responsible for this situation right it's it's what's affecting our planet remember the moment you take responsibility for something is the moment you have the ability to change it so we're now seeing the byproduct of irresponsible behavior by industry loose regulations by the fda and the epa and lack of informed consumption by us And the threat is in men and women's fertility. Remember, we had the fertility show a while ago. If you're you're always dropping in and listening, you'll remember Dr. Shala Salem. She came in on episode 92, and we talked all about fertility. And she was talking specifically about how fertility is going down for men and women, environmental toxins are a big, big blame for that. That's a big blamer for that. Like, environmental toxins is what we are looking at as the number one factor as to why our fertility is at risk. Okay, so... 2017, Dr. Swan co authored the study, Temporal Trends in Sperm Count, a systematic review and meta regression analysis. And it was in the Journal of Human Reproduction Update. And the study itself elucidated the body of research that is showing that sperm count is declining fairly rapidly. Between 1973 and 2011, there has been a 50 to 60 percent decline in sperm concentration and total sperm count in North America, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand with no evidence that it's leveling off anytime soon. But why? The authors believe there's a major component in the role of endocrine disrupting chemicals, right? You couple that with a poor diet, increases in stress, smoking, obesity. But as explained by Dr. Swan, fertility as a whole is declining 1% each year. Miscarriages are increasing 1% each year. Testosterone is decreasing by 1% each year. She says that her research It suggests that by 2045, sperm count can reach zero. You heard that right. The quote from a book says, in some parts of the world, the average 20-something woman today is less fertile than her grandmother was at 35. Now we know that sperm count and concentration are dropping, fertility's dropping, people are having issues getting pregnant, but also penises are shrinking. Yes, Dr. Swan states that when fetuses are exposed to phthalates, what do we see? An increased likelihood that they're going to be born with a smaller penis overall. Male fetuses exposed to phthalates had shorter anogenital distance, which is the distance between the anus and the genitals. And that's corollary to the volume of the penis. We're seeing all of this happening in fetuses due to this endocrine disrupting chemical. And these chemicals, phthalates, BPA, PFAS, parabens, flame retardants, pesticides, herbicides, especially atrazine. We saw right when they were being mass produced and utilized into the environment and leaking into our daily lives, we saw a decline in sperm health and fertility. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us wanna look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. And you want something truly effective that is safe. Ali Tura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Ali Tura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best. And they're always at health events and people are loving them and their quality. plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products, GHKCU and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alitura Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you, Our poor livers have been working overtime. If you've been feeling sluggish, bloated, or just overall rundown, it may be time to give your hardworking liver some extra love and support. That is where Organifi's Liver Detox comes in. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfoods. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfood ingredients specifically designed If you want to experience the energy-boosting, liver-supporting effects of this fantastic formula, head to OrganifiShop.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I shop.com slash DRG. And these chemicals are liberally allowed into our environment due to poor regulation. And they're affecting our hormones, fertility, and now we're learning that it's affecting penis size. Let me put this in perspective. There are over 80,000 chemicals that have been let into the environment over the years. 200 or less have been tested for safety and about 12% have been banned. These chemicals in your food, water, water bottles, personal care products, cosmetics, furniture, beds, cleaning supplies, etc., have relatively no regulation or safety testing. Let's just pause and put that in perspective. These chemicals are innocent until proven guilty. So where are these chemicals found? Well, the phthalates, which are probably the number one, I would say, overall endocrine disrupting chemicals that we're seeing right now that is associated with decreased sperm concentration, decreased sperm counts, decreased fertility, decreased libido, decreased penis size. Phthalates can be found in anything with synthetic fragrance. This is why I talk about fragrance being an umbrella term. It's the most conventional topicals you're going to use, like moisturizers or sunblocks. It's also in lipsticks, also in nail polish. It's in the home as far as cleaning products. It's in your shower curtain, PVC. What's what's being released, those are plastics. Those are what's happening is these phthalates. They're off-gassing and you're breathing them in. So there's also correlation with phthalates also being implicated in libido levels in women, as I mentioned. What are other ones though? PFAS. They're having a big disruptive effect in male hormones. It's correlated with reduction in overall semen quality, testicular volume, and penile length. It's also found in plastics, electronics, wrappings, food paper, water. You'll remember the Water Show, episode number 82. I go into deep details about PFAS being in bottled water. You're also going to find it in Teflon. So anything that's non stick, big issue because it's going to wreak havoc on your system. And the problem and why they're called forever chemicals, these PFAS PFAS is that they stay in the body for about eight to 10 years. That's how long it takes for your body to get rid of them. Atrazine, I mentioned, this is one of the nation's top selling weed killers. It's an herbicide that gets into our water, but it's also sprayed on corn, soybean, sugar cane. You find it on golf courses, which is a big issue. I would never live on a golf course for one of these reasons because it's so highly treated. It's also seen on residential lawns, but you see it disrupting animals in 30 times lower concentrations than the EPA is allowing. UC Berkeley developmental endocrinologist, Tyrone B. Hayes, he explained this. Atrazine, at levels often found in, environment, in the environment, demasculinates tadpoles and turns them into hermaphrodites, meaning that they're having both female and male sexual characteristics. The herbicide also lowers levels of male hormone testosterone and sexually mature male frogs by a factor of 10, and to levels lower than those of normal male frogs. Unbelievable. We're seeing frogs with smaller testes, smaller ovaries because of this herbicide that is regularly sprayed on your lawn and you may not know it or the lawn of the person next to you and you may not know it, your neighbor. And he explains the use of atrazine in the environment is basically an uncontrolled experiment and there seems to be no atrazine-free environment and it's true, right? It gets, it's been around and it's getting all over environment, it seeps into the water we're being affected, animal, ecology, it's all being, the whole cycle is being affected by these chemicals with poor, poor regulation. And they interfere with our body's natural hormonal system and the signals that we're getting. It can cross over to the fetus, cross over to the brain, which has a barrier. It cross over to the testes, which has a barrier. So you don't really need that much of a high exposure, right? Because I talked about something called a non-monotonic dose response in past episodes. Basically says that, even at super low doses, lower than what's allowed in the industry, right? By the industry, FDA, EPA, lower than what they're allowing is having similar effects that you're seeing in high doses, right? And that's a major problem, right? It's actually a threat to our species if you think about it. Listen to this chilling quote. Of the five possible criteria for what makes species endangered, only one needs to be met. The current state of affairs for humans meets at least three. So all of this doomsday talk, right? Oh my God, we are infertile and what's happening and why are all these chemicals inundating my life and how do I get rid of them? Here are some really powerful interventions that are going to dramatically reduce that load. How do I know? Because I'm a doctor and I've had patients and I've done interventions like this and I've seen pre and post testing and it works. So I'm gonna share with you some of the things that I would tell my patients to reduce this endocrine disrupting load. You always start with what you can, right? Get yourself some organic produce first and foremost. A lot of these pesticides have endocrine disrupting chemicals in them. I mentioned atrazine, right? Can get into your food source. We, we know it's, I mentioned soybean, corn, soy. Get off the processed crap. Remember, whole foods, not necessarily a supermarket, but eating foods in their whole form is better. Less ingredients, the better. Avoid plastic. I talked about it, did a whole show, probably more than two shows, three shows on BPA already. Get off the water bottles. The threat of BPA and PFAS, which are in the water, are big, 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 big. Those are super powerful hormone disruptors. You don't make sure you never put anything overly hot, cold, acidic, or basic in plastic. And opt for some glassware instead of the plastic, all right? Look at the Environmental Working Group Database. Again, I've been talking about this since already two years. What you can do is go on this database, look at your beauty products, personal care products, cleaning product regimen, and get rid of all the stuff with those synthetic fragrances. I think about my life back in college. Man, I was in the shower. I was using spring fresh synthetic soap or Old Spice body wash. I was getting out, drying myself off. I was using herbal sense, uh synthetic shampoo, and then I was putting some Aveeno moisturizer on. Then I was spraying on cologne. I was walking all over campus like a walking hormone disruptor, not only affecting myself, but others. That's the problem, right? You smell those scents. And that's disrupting your chemicals. This is why I don't I really dislike perfumes and colognes. But go on their database and find for yourself some of the products that are approved. All right. What else? Home stuff, right? Start moving all of those cleaning supplies as I mentioned. Look again on the EWG database where you can find high quality cleaning supplies. And also nonstick cookware. If you have Teflon or anything nonstick in your kitchen, throw it away. That's a big no-no. We know that. I did the show on Cookware talking about how Teflon is so toxic to the body. It can it can if you have a small bird and you're cooking in Teflon and it smokes, the smoke is inhaled by the bird, it's gonna kill a bird. But it goes into your food, right? So look for something more like cast iron, ceramic, or stainless steel. And then get the book by Dr. Swan, as I mentioned. The name of the book is Countdown. I have no affiliation with it. I just think it's something that we all should read so we have become more informed consumers about what's in our lives. It's definitely nothing to be understated. I don't wanna be the one who's saying this and going, God, man, I remember Dr. G was talking about this 10 years ago, and now it's in the news. We don't wanna wait for that. We don't want mass media, conventional media coverage to, to sit and wait for them to be telling us, oh no, we're doomed. Now is when we make those Interventions Now is when we empower ourselves. This is called preventative medicine, learning and making those changes. I'm working on getting Dr. Swan on the show. I would love to have her as a guest so we can go even more in depth. I really hope you enjoy this knowledge bomb. But let's get to this very special guest. I can't wait to speak to Dr. Michael Goran. So important. Sugar consumption is an epidemic. What it does to the body is uh, on many levels affecting us from children to adulthood. So let's get into this convo. Really hope you like that knowledge bomb and let's do it. All right, everyone. Today's special guest, Dr. Michael Goran. Now, he is a researcher, biochemist, and he's a professor at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. But really, we're here to talk about something super important. What is the impact of sugar, sugar on children? What is the impact on diets overall? What is the impact on cognitive behavior? Well, in his new book, Sugar Proof, he talks about all of this, and we're gonna learn about some actionable interventions we can make so we can better our children's diets. Doctor, thank yeah. you for coming on to the show.
1: What a pleasure to be here, Dr. Yeah. G, thank you
0: so much. I appreciate it, I, 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 love, I love that you release a book on sugar, and right on the front I see a bowl with sugar cubes and a spoon, and I'm, it made me think, when I used to eat cereal, it was all sugar. Mm-hmm. I had Lucky Charms, I had the Count Chocula, the Frosted Flakes. And I used to add sugar to it. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I was thinking about how addicted I was to sugar as a child. And it was in everything. I was thinking about, I had these little snacks called Dunkaroos that I pull it out and have frosting and I dip these little cookies in it. I would have a toaster strudel in the freezer that where it would just, you, you put in the frosting in it and it's sugar rich and had jelly in the middle. How inundated are we with sugar as children?
1: Completely inundated. Yeah, seventy uh, percent of processed foods, eighty percent of foods that are targeted towards children have some form of of sugar. I was in the grocery store the other day talking about your Lucky Charms, mm-hmm. doing my thing, and I come to the end of the aisle, one of these big displays, Lucky Charms, bright colored, kids friendly thing. Everybody has to reach for it because it's 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 magnetic, mm-hmm. and fifteen grams of added sugar per serving. Uh, most kids would probably pour themselves two bowls, that's 30 grams. That's Mm -hmm. like drinking a soda for breakfast.
0: Unbelievable.
1: So, you know, sugar is everywhere, and food food companies are basically hijacking kids' taste buds because kids are born with a built-in preference for sweetness. When you were a kid eating all those things, you had a natural increased preference for sweetness. It was supposed to be a protective mechanism from an evolutionary perspective it was supposed to favor you to like breast milk and to seek out good calories and to avoid toxic berries from the forest floor. Mm-hmm. We ain't in that environment anymore. You know, mm-hmm. We're in this environment where we're surrounded by sugary foods, and that's what kids are reaching for.
0: And you mentioned something really important. The industry sort of knows this. One, yes. they know how to create the formula yes. to hijack the taste buds. And then the marketing aspect, where they know how to reach children, so they're attracted to it. They yes. w- they want some of that cereal. They want some of that food item. Um, what? And, and you you mentioned the evolutionary uh, tactic that they're using, mm-hmm. right? That the taste. So is it is it that they're just making sugar rich foods because it's tapping into a child's evolutionary need for survival?
1: I think that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's part of it, and I, I think sweetness sells. Uh, You've probably heard of the bliss point, um, where food companies get the sweetness up to a level. If they're developing a new product, it has to be liked by a certain percentage of their users in in tests. And to to reach that bliss point, you increase sweetness and you can get more liking. So Mm -hmm. some of it's masking all the other preservatives and additives that are added to to processed foods. And sweetness is there because they know kids like, prefer sweetness. Mm -hmm.
0: So, wow, in the morning, uh, like a can of soda for breakfast, basically, just from cereal. What kind of effects is this having on the child throughout the day?
1: Well, and then, of course, you, in many cases, this would this would also be accompanied by juice.
0: Right, right, um,
1: right. Or pastry. or so, so sugar at breakfast is vitally important. I think the research is showing that uh, high sugar intake in kids at breakfast uh, alters their energy levels. They have rapid energy highs and energy crashes uh, from that sugar because the sugar is rapidly absorbed and then taken out and then they crash and go mm-hmm. hypoglycemic. Mm-hmm. So the immediate effects are kind of at uh, disequilibrium almost in in energy levels with these rapid highs and lows. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think hopefully what we'll talk about is ways that we can For uh, sure. avoid that. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that's just the immediate effects acutely, um, of the meal. And then over time, as we talk about in sugar proof, uh, sh- sugar can affect multiple aspects of kids' development.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then we think about it, right? A child goes in, they've had, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 grams sugars, uh, grams of sugar in breakfast, goes into school mm-hmm. and they are off the rocker running around so much energy crashing. And then they have a uh, uh, breakfast from school, Tons of sugar off the rock are crashing. I wonder if parents or teachers start seeing that as, I oh, know my child may have hyperactive disorder, you know, or mm-hmm. maybe let's get them on medication to calm mm-hmm. them down. Why are we not just looking at sugar first? Why are we not looking at diet first? What is, where is the dissonance between medicine and, and reality? What's happening? That's a
1: great question. I mean, we, we, in the book, we call it the sugar roller coaster. That's exactly what's going on. And it's um, hard to get off when, when, once you're on. Um, but I think medicine is a quick fix. I think mm-hmm. for, a, for a long time, there was, the, there was actually a notion in the medical field that sugar didn't cause hyperactivity. This is still believed to be the case. If you look at the uh, literature, which we, we review in the book, mm-hmm. uh, but ask any parent uh, if sugar causes hyperactivity, and they'll mm-hmm. say, of course it does. You right. know, you, you, most parents have seen it. That might be, it might be unpredictable. It might be different one day than the other, but studies do show that sugar causes energy highs and mm-hmm. energy lows, mm-hmm. and most parents don't need a scientific journal for that. They just uh, look at their kids. But the, the, the literature, and this, we believe the studies were not um, really... Um, optimal, because what they did was they compar- compared sugar and the control or the placebo was an alternative sweetener.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was calories, w- um, sweetness without the calories, mm-hmm. um, thinking that that was just like a complete placebo. Uh, but now we know that sweeteners, and we can talk about this later, also have um, similar effects. Mm-hmm. So, so the comparison wasn't great. Um once you compare sugar uh, with non-sugary food, you, you definitely see this effect. The difference. So I think we've missed it because we, the scientific literature told us that sugar didn't cause hyperactivity,
0: which is at odds with what most parents will tell you. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? An experience of brew that's not only delicious, Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately, for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research the sugar industry is yeah. at policy at mm-hmm. nutritional interventions right at the way we see food being masked with sugar and and it's it's just lurking in there have you in your research come through and, and seen just how powerful that industry is at all
1: well personally yes I've, I've yeah. had
0: <laughs> I've
1: had personal um interactions mm-hmm. on, w- with the sugar industry who mm-hmm. have tried to, um, I was giving a talk one time, for example, and somebody stood up. People don't usually stand up and ask you questions, Right, right. But this person stood up. Um, she was, this was a person from, from, uh, the food, from beverage industry and kind of tore apart our research. We, we've had, um, we've had a lot of pushback from the industry, obviously, just mm-hmm. personally, and I think that's one of their tactics too, is to discredit science, mm-hmm. um, but I, you know, I persevered. I'm, I'm a scientist. I follow the data.
0: Right. Right. And, and put it out there. Yeah. One thing i another thing I found interesting is, um, nutritionists, their, um, or dietitians, their yearly, uh, conference many times is sponsored yeah. by big sugar, right? Like you'll have Coca-Cola or Pepsi doing talks about how children can drink this and it's fine and it's safe. And it's a source of energy. Source of energy. And, and, and this is research that's being presented to dietitians who, oh, I, what, I'm lear- what, what I know and the ones that I know are like, what the heck is this? But a lot of mm-hmm. them are taking that mm-hmm. right at face value yes. and going, oh, yeah, f- no, that's fine. You can give your kids. For me, that's, that's crazy to think how powerful an industry is at teaching the very people we look to for dietary advice.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's it's unfortunate, and but that's 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 the situation we're in. The same is happening at uh, scientific meetings that I would regularly go to. Well, oftentimes, workshops sponsored mm-hmm. by by the food industry or the sugar industry, mm-hmm. beverage industry. Wow. So um, I think it's problematic.
0: Well, uh, okay. So so let's say I have a kid. I don't know anything about this, and my kid is having you know, Lucky Charms for breakfast. A, glass of juice and maybe even a piece of white bread toast or maybe even wheat bread toast still mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. still we'll, we'll, you know converted to the sugar but um then we do that every single day for my child's childhood and mm-hmm. adolescent are, is there any research coming out about what are the long-term effects of just having a high sugar diet for these kids
1: yeah there's there's studies short-term long-term studies we, we review them all in in sugar proof mm-hmm. uh, going from Literally from head to toe effects on brain development, learning, cognition, memory, across the lifespan. I mean, its effects may be more pronounced sometimes in childhood because of development. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, then or, uh, other organs, gut effects, liver, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, fatty liver disease, which I hope we'll talk about, wasn't mm-hmm. even a disease 10 years ago, non alcoholic fatty mm-hmm. liver disease. Mm-hmm. Um, most liver disease used to be alcohol-related. Now yeah. it's non-alcohol-related, the mm-hmm. non-alcohol being fructose. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, and those effects can be short-term or long-term, you know, and often silent. So type 2 diabetes, for example, unfortunately, it is increasing in childhood. Uh, you might not see it being actually um, developing into full-blown type 2 diabetes, but this seed is planted in childhood and that's what our earlier research showed uh, and it tied that to sugar that high sugar diets in childhood creates more insulin resistance creates more beta cell stress in the pancreas which might not be manifested then as type 2 diabetes but it will lead to earlier onset mm-hmm. so these are kind of subtle slowly evolving chronic diseases that are seated in childhood uh, that pretty much all can be related to diet and sugar in particular.
0: Mm, unbelievable, right? That we can make long-term changes in a child's health by just removing a food group that we think is a lot safer than it is. And I always think of sugar as this this like caustic substance in a very delicate pipe in the blood vessels, running through and tissues and the organs, and and what we think is, is so safe is causing damage. And like you said, the beta cells of the pancreas and leading to early, maybe not uh, diabetes full blown, but like you said, earlier onset. Mm-hmm. So instead of maybe when in their thirties, they're getting it when they're 16, 17, 18. Um, I've, I forgot the statistic, but years ago when I was in school, I read how many children have type two diabetes and, and, and we saw it as the adult onset diabetes, yeah. but yeah. now it's like, adolescent onset diabetes
1: can be yeah I mean um, when I first started in this field which was over 30 years ago uh, type 2 diabetes wasn't an issue in childhood and it was called adult onset diabetes to differentiate it from type 1 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a complete lack of um, insulin production in the pancreas uh, but by 2000 we were starting to see an increase in type 2 diabetes in adults and even in children and teenagers and each year the numbers are, are going up.
0: Mm-hmm. And you, you did mention about the liver. Um, was it the high fructose corn syrup then is, le- is leading to, and what is fatty liver? What is, because uh, we, we, like you said, we, we used to think drink a ton of alcohol, you'll get a fatty liver that'll turn into uh, hepatitis or, or cirrhosis, and That's hepatitis, cirrhosis, and then, you know, you'll have liver failure, a piece of liver failure. Now what's happening? Are we seeing that in children?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's the same pathogenesis, but Mm -hmm. it's induced not by alcohol, but by sugar and fructose in particular. Uh, And some people are saying, you know, fructose is is alcohol, but without the buzz. Mm -hmm. And that's because metabolically, the response is the same. So the liver is this giant filter that removes everything from the circulation that it doesn't want to get to the rest of the body drugs, toxins, alcohol, add to that list fructose, okay, which is in all sugar, and it's higher in high fructose corn syrup, it's higher in fruit-based sugars, it's very high in things like agave, and we can talk about that later. Mm -hmm. But the point is that the liver screens it out from the blood, so over 90% of fructose that gets absorbed in the gut is filtered out by the liver. Mm. The glucose, on the other hand, goes around the body for energy. The liver says, uh-uh, I don't want that fructose going everywhere. It filters it out into a pathway, it converts it to fat. That fat and the same happens with alcohol. That fat from fructose gets it can get stuck in the liver or it can get repackaged as fat and put back out into the circulation leading to dyslipidemia, mm-hmm. hallmark of cardiovascular mm-hmm. disease, mm-hmm. high lipids in the blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, once that fat builds up to a high level, it causes cirrhosis, like you mentioned, just like we used to see in alcoholic liver disease, and then liver failure, liver transplant, liver cancer. Right. That process is speeded up earlier onset. Doesn't mean to say all kids are going to get liver disease. Again, it's a it's a cumulative and slowly evolving mm-hmm. over time. But certainly at the high end of the spectrum, we, I mean, in our studies in children and teenagers, we see, unfortunately, high levels of fatty liver disease mm. among children who are overweight. Hispanics are highly susceptible right. to fatty liver disease because of a genetic uh, mutation in a gene called PMPLA3. Um, so it can happen, but for sure, the process can be accelerated by
0: sugar. I, I, and I, you said something very important. When we think about fat in the blood, a lot of people go, well, I don't eat that much fat, or I, I don't have a fatty meals, or I don't eat greasy foods. But you talked about the conversion of the sugar, right, in the liver, protecting, you know, getting rid of 90%, but the rest being thrown out to the circulation mm-hmm. as fat, right? So we have to think about that, like eating high amounts of sugar can lead to the cardiovascular disease. It's not just diabetes. A lot of us think, oh, sugar diabetes, Right, but it's the cardiovascular aspect too, right? The and and we lose sight of that a lot of the time. Yeah, but um, so some of the foods that are really dense in fructose are things like high fructose corn syrup. What about agave? What's the problem with agave? People love that as a substitute, and it's in the health industry, and it's everywhere. You can get at Whole Foods right now.
1: Yeah, and you know, used. To, I mean, a couple of years ago, I would have agave in my in my cupboard because it, it's it's good tasting. It's It's convenient, you can just drop a little bit in your smoothie or in your tea or whatever, and it tastes good. But then we realize that it's actually most agaves are 90% fructose. So high fructose corn syrup that's in a soda is maybe 60% fructose. In agave, it's 90% fructose. So it is very high in fructose, and so are all fruit sugars, and fruit sugars um, are also increasing in use because they you know, they have this health, healthy sounding uh, buzz around them, mm-hmm. um, but they are high in sugar and we need to keep that in mind, Sorry, they are high in fructose. Mm-hmm. So we need to keep that in mind as well.
0: Right. For the implications and it can be hurting the liver of many children out there, um, especially Hispanic ones, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we think about, I think about um, lower socioeconomic populations uh, being a lot of Hispanic children being there, the neighborhood that I came from, and the access to food is sugar-rich. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have whole foods out there. We have bodegas that have cereals that are just so sugar-rich, bars, candies, um, a, a bunch of sweeteners, maple mm-hmm. syrups. It's pretty wild. So it's it's. It, I think there's another aspect to this, the the socioeconomic, uh, social level how we can affect this too but um there's
1: a huge um socioeconomic um impact mm-hmm. on on obesity in childhood we've we've in our one of our earlier studies showed that levels of obesity in children were uh, seven to eight times higher in low-income neighborhoods mm-hmm. um so for example if you get data from beverly hills or uh, malibu or, or high affluent neighborhoods there, there's no pre- there's no there's no epidemic of childhood obesity. But uh, in East LA, for example, 35% of kids uh, are classified with a body weight in the obese range.
0: Wow. And it's unbelievable because it was pretty regular in my childhood. I've seen that. And I was thinking, you know, not when I was childhood, when I look back, I go, I think, well, why? And mm-hmm. it's, it's access to food. That's it. It's, it's literally like quick, poor quality, hyper-processed, palatable food. Yeah, and that's what's happening with which these children, which tend to be very high in sugar. High in sugar, which tend to be high in sugar. Which
1: I shouldn't say tend to.
0: They are. They are. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but that, that's that's all there is to it. They really yeah. are really high in yeah. sugar. All right, so look, we have a big problem on our hands. We know that. We know it's affecting children's health acutely, mm-hmm. chronically, um, long term. When they're adults, we can see even the effects of that poor child, uh, poor diet in childhood. How now? We got parents listening. We got parents viewing. They go, what the heck? What do I do? Where do I start? Do I do I put other artificial sweeteners? Do I start getting new foods? How do I change my child's palate? Because mm-hmm. that's the problem with parents. They go, my kid just won't eat. My kid yeah. just won't eat it. You know. So, where do we start?
1: Yeah, and I mean that's a that is a very good point because palate and taste is very important um, in all this. And I know many parents are struggling with 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 this issue. Um, And in the sugar-proof, we have a lot of simple hacks, a lot of strategies. Alternative sweeteners are not the answer. I'll put that right out there directly. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Why? What's the problem with them?
1: So, you know, many of them, they sound good. It's it's a fool's gold. It's a perfect anecdote, right? It's sweetness without the calories. What could be better, Mm -hmm. right? You get the sweetness, you don't get the calories. Um, They don't taste great. Many of them, mm-hmm. right? Um, depending on the particular sweetener, you know, they're all they're all different chemicals of different arrangements. Splenda, for example, or sucralose, the most common in the U.S. Yeah, do you know what it is? Mm-hmm.
0: Where, where it's, it's Splenda. It's,
1: but do you know what it is chemically?
0: Oh, sucralose? So, no, no, I don't know the okay, biochemistry. It,
1: <laughs> it's a sucrose molecule mm-hmm. with chlorine oh, on the ends. Interesting. Okay, three chlorine atoms attached on. I don't know who came up with this crazy idea. Uh, maybe it was an accident. Many of these things were. But it so happens that adding those chlorines makes it um, hundreds of times sweeter, but it's not absorbed. The body likes the sweetness, but it says, chlorine, I'm not going to absorb mm-hmm. this molecule. I don't know what to do with it. It, it's, it. It's not absorbed. So, But then other ones like aspartame or ASK or other kind mm-hmm. of um, complicated molecules that activate the sweet taste receptor but aren't absorbed or they are peed out. But the problem is they they tend to trick the body, okay? Well, first of all, if they're not absorbed, they'll have GI problems.
0: Mm -hmm. Which we see a lot of.
1: Yeah. And it could be unexplained, tummy issues, dysbiosis, alteration in the gut microbiome. Um, Otherwise, they just generally can trick the body. We have these sweet taste receptors not just in the mouth. Throughout the body, we have sweet taste receptors that will get activated. And basically, the body gets tricked into thinking there's calories coming in when there isn't. So if your, bo- if your mind, if your brain thinks there's calories coming in when there isn't, what's it going to do? It's going to draw the calories out of your blood. It's going mm-hmm. to uptake glucose because it thinks there's a lot coming in, mm-hmm. but there's not. So what's going to happen next You'll get hypoglycemic and hungry.
0: Mm, so, so that's what it, that's what it's creating within us. These uh, alternative sweeteners, when we're eating them, it's tricking our body. Yeah, and it's creating more hunger.
1: And studies show, even in children, that children or adults who habitually consume non-caloric sweeteners actually consume more calories during the day. There's no relationship between. S- uh, habitual sweetener use and lower body weight or lower calorie consumption. If anything, it's the opposite.
0: Wow, and and it's and it's crazy because all of them are in diet sodas, diet foods. So uh, we would expect that dietarily it's going to do its job, but you're saying that as a reflex to the body, we're eating more actually because it's creating a hypoglycemic state, and our body thinks we're starving.
1: Yeah, it's a, a reflex is a is a great um, a great word to describe that. Wow.
0: Wow. And, and do you have any opinion on things like stevia or maybe monk fruit? Do you feel that that can be a good sugar substitute or, um, or anything about them raising insulin or are you okay with those?
1: They tend to do a little better in that regard. Um, and they are naturally occurring. Um, um, there's still absorption issues. So the long-term effects, Mm -hmm. um, are unknown. Stevia may have some protective effects on the liver. We're doing actually doing some research on that currently. Uh, and then for me at that point, it
0: becomes taste. Now let's chat about something crucial that is omega-3s. You know I'm all about keeping clean and pure when it comes to products as well as food on my plate. But when it comes to supplements, right, we have to make sure we have the best of the best. But especially when it comes to omega-3s. And and I really mean it. Omega-3s are some of the most adulterated supplements that exist out there. And a lot of companies aren't doing it right. We need omega-3s for our heart, for our brain, for our eye health. You might not be getting enough nutritionally. When it comes to Peori, it's a quality brand, not only just with omegas across their whole line. They're extremely transparent. Every batch undergoes rigorous testing against over 200 contaminants, and you could check the results for yourself. And that's one of my favorite things. You can scan the QR code, And look at the batch that is right in front of you that is on your shelf or in your counter. And you can see the results for this quality testing. Pure O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil delivers a potent dose of EPA and DHA without any unnecessary extras. Now, Pure is offering 20% off of their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil, the one that I take every single morning. And all their fantastic products to you, the Heal Thyself listener. That's 20% off even the already discounted subscription price. I want you to go to pure.com. Use my promo code DRG, that's P-U-O-R-I.com slash D R G to take care of your health with some of the best omegas out there by Peori. These days, these days it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water, or kombucha, or coffee or tea. But not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peak's Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes dot com slash DRG you're going to get fifty percent off plus all those freebies mm-hmm. so we have stevia and monk fruit not bad alternatives
1: not as bad as the others but to me they don't, I don't like the taste of them or the aftertaste uh, so what we're doing in sugar proof is saying okay if you're going to bake a cookie or uh, or a cake you know why not just use regular sugar but use less of it that's one approach mm-hmm. most recipes you can just cut the sugar by half and or in sugar proof, we have recipes where we said, okay, we challenge ourselves. Can we make fun treats, cakes for kids or families with with zero added sugars, mm-hmm. using natural things like a banana or mm-hmm. dates mm-hmm. or dried mango fruit for our mango cornbread? Mm-hmm. And we came up with some very creative ideas. For example, we have. Uh, A blueberry muffin, which instead of having 10 grams of added sugar, if you buy a blueberry muffin at a coffee shop, Mm -hmm. has zero. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what we're doing there not saying you have to do that all the time, but then you also get the natural taste of the blueberries Mm -hmm. or the bananas because what's happening is sugar or these sweeteners are intense, very intense activators of the sweet taste profile. So it's almost like it overwhelms all the other... Um, tastes that you should be getting or could be getting mm-hmm. from that food. So wouldn't it be better if we could eat a blueberry muffin and taste blueberries? Right,
0: <laughs> right. And a lot of time, I mean, I've I've been guilty throughout my life at some point make, having a blueberry muffin from probably in college at a coffee shop, yeah. and it it's just sweet. It's sweet bread.
1: Yeah, it doesn't taste like blueberries. You even taste blueberries. Yeah.
0: So it's I, I get what you're saying. So so
1: so what we're trying to do is kind of almost retrain the system to appreciate better the natural tastes and the natural flavors and the natural sweetness because um, artificial sweetness overwhelms everything almost.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, is that, would that be the way then we have parents who are viewing and listening to take a step to change the palate for the children is to use more natural sweeteners, like you said, dates or dried mango, things like that?
1: Yeah, poss- not not all the time, but as alternatives from time to time. And we're, we're not saying you can never have added sugar again. Um, we do have a seven-day no-added-sugar challenge that's part of Sugar Proof. And the idea there is just to go seven days just as a reset, just to reset everything, reboot the whole system. Mm-hmm. And to learn to appreciate what the sources of added sugars were in mm-hmm. your diet and find alternatives. Um, But then going forward, um, you can use the sugar-proof approaches of natural sweetness from bananas or dates, or you can cook with less sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, Like at home, I will use coconut sugar if I'm baking, um, which I slightly prefer the taste of. It's slightly more sustainable crop. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the key is I'll use less of it. trying to get my kids to use less of it is another challenge. Right, right, right. Um, but if I'm making it, they won't notice the difference. They'll, 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 they'll like it just as much.
0: That, which which makes sense, right? Like if, if, if dad or mom's making it, then they're gonna eat it. That's yeah. it. I heard, I heard one time somebody was like, uh, you know, the way to get your kid to eat something is for them to know they ain't gonna eat anything else if they don't eat that, right? So they're yeah. like, okay, well, this is here, you mm-hmm. know, and this is my food. So they'll eat it at some point because that's their food. Um, I don't know how good that advice is, but I did hear it, and I was like, That's interesting, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, a lot of parents are like, my kid won't touch this, they won't touch this for me. what was on the plate is my dinner if I don't eat it, I'm not gonna eat you know yeah. so I, but I had that understanding, but you said i I, 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 uh, well, I did a sugar detox myself, and I don't eat too much sugar, but I, I'll have uh, I, I eat a lot of fruit, you know um and and some some snacks, but the seven day you notice how much sugar is part of your palate part of your brain part of your like your sort of addiction and it's weird like the second day i'm like oh this is weird like what do i eat then you Mm -hmm, know like mm -hmm. i'm gonna stay away from this i'm gonna stay away from this because i have a lot of smoothies too um but by the third fourth day fifth day you come back and everything's more sweet you go oh that's way too sweet exactly why was i eating that yeah it sort of balances it doesn't take too too long either to get into balance, I, I believe.
1: No, I mean, we, and the seven days wasn't chosen at random. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's based on research that shows that uh, after th- several days, you will notice a difference in sweetness. After five, six days, you do get a um, effect. Uh, differences in blood levels of mm-hmm. lipids and blood pressure and all these metabolic things that you want to improve can be affected. But but really, in our experience with families and kids, is just as you described, exactly as you described. Even with a four or five-year-old, th- th- they will be uh, difficult the first couple of days. There, you know, you, there may be some discomfort. Um, why are you taking away my peanut butter? Why mm-hmm. can't I have jam on my toes? Whatever their usual go-tos are, but it doesn't take long. Um, a day or two, maybe some fog headaches, withdrawal, because Mm -hmm. sugar is addictive, sweetness Mm -hmm. is addictive. But almost in all cases, parents will tell us that after those first couple of days, it's almost like in many cases, new kids emerge, more stable energy, more focused, more balanced, Mm -hmm. as well, and a greater appreciation of actual food, of real food.
0: Right, right, of real food. Yeah, so when you introduce the food, make sure it's whole foods, not the processed stuff that you yeah, may have been giving yeah. them. You know, put a little, like, just think about maybe, do, I mean, we talk about it a lot on the show. What foods can you start giving kids? Maybe more whole food base, right? Instead of having the lucky charms of the morning, maybe having some fruit, cut up fruit even, right? Would, are you okay with that? Do you think that's an okay move? Or how do you feel about fruit as a whole? I don't have a
1: problem with fruit. The only only one problem I have with with fruit is eating a lot all at once. And by a lot, I mean a big bowl. Right. And I know myself because I suffer. I have gout. And I, for a long time, could not find the source of the gout. My doctor told me it was alcohol. I don't drink alcohol. Told me it was meat. I eat meat every other month or something. Mm -hmm. And finally, I I boiled it down. I realized it was um, when I ate a lot of fruit all at once. And I used to go... And to those fruit carts, mm-hmm, there, there mm-hmm. used to be one next to USC, and have that for my lunch. big yeah. bowl of fruit. Yeah, and uh, the big—it was the big bowl of fruit that induced uh, rapid, immediate swelling in my ankles, mm. uh, and it was gout. Um, that's not to say I, I don't eat fruit. I eat—I love fruit. I just, you know, I space it out during the day. I just won't have a big bowl all at
0: once. Same, same, same with me. I'll space, I'll space it out. Um, how, how, how have you found as a whole? How addictive is sugar? Would you say?
1: I think it's very addictive now a lot of people wouldn't use the addictive word mm-hmm. i mean it, you know it gets into very kind of right controversial territory mm-hmm. but i think what and what we spell out in sugar proof whether you want to call it addictive or not is one thing but i know for sure there are addictive tendencies mm-hmm. we just described some it's hard mm-hmm. to give up when you do give it up you have after effects <laughs> withdrawal yeah um you crave it so these these are all part of the definition of something that's addictive. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you may not want to call it addictive, but it has addictive tendencies Mm -hmm. for sure. And chemically in the brain as well, studies show that it can be just as addictive, even more so than some Mm -hmm. addictive drugs.
0: So I always say, I I did a little uh, stint in pediatrics in school, but one of my things is say, from the beginning I say, how much sugar is your child eating? And more times than not, it was it was pretty high. Mm -hmm. It was pretty high. We broke down breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I found that removing sugar was one of the top two or three interventions as a whole for uh, optimization or improvements cognitively, Mm -hmm. gastrointestinally, um, uh, just behavior overall, their activity, right? Being able to focus in school. These are things that just literally like in a week can change. Absolutely. If you just take, you know, a little audit of how much sugar your child's eating
1: yeah and the no added sugar challenge that we'll we walk you through in in sugar proof will do that mm-hmm. and you know you prepare for it you do it as a family you discover all the sources hidden sources of added sugar you eliminate the usual culprits whether that's your lucky charm at breakfast or your mm-hmm. apple juice or your soda just eliminate them for for a week we're not going to give them up forever um and you'll get all those improvements mm-hmm. um and then when you go back, you may go back to less of the Lucky Charms or less of the juice, right? And you know, gradually it may sneak back, and then you do it again. I mean, mm-hmm. we as our in our family, we'll do a seven-day no added sugar challenge every couple of months, mm-hmm. like after the big holidays, for example.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, that which is great because during the big holidays, that's a time to indulge. People do overindulge.
1: Yeah, post Easter now is a good time, for example. We we had mm-hmm. our you know chocolate candy binge over easter that's great it was fun yeah but now now maybe it's a good time to to kind of reset that
0: for sure little detox i love that all right so sugar proof is out we can get our hands on it we're going to have information all about how sugar is affecting children um, and interventions things that we can do as a family mm-hmm. to reduce that sugar intake you got challenges you got recipes everything's in there yeah i love that okay so everyone viewing listening moms dads families this is the book right now to ensure your child's overall health because unless you're really on it more likely than not your child's eating too much sugar i know i was when i was a kid i was a little sugar fiend mm-hmm. um so we can check out the book where else can we find you
1: uh on instagram we're at sugarproof kids mm-hmm. as well as facebook at sugarproof kids twitter mm-hmm. at michael goren uh, we have a website sugarproof kids.com. Mm-hmm. Uh we have some of our recipes on there, new recipes that we're developing all the time. Most often are going on the website and yeah, wherever books are sold mm-hmm. uh and in Kindle and audio format as well.
0: Perfect. Everything. We love it. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I think it's so so important. I do think it's a epidemic we're leading towards. Um and I think so many of these diseases can be solved early on just through diet and particularly with sugar. So love the work you're doing and thank you for coming on the show and really dropping some knowledge on us. I appreciate that.
1: Dr. G, thank you so much for taking the time and having me on the show and bringing this to the public. Thank you so much. My
0: pleasure. Awesome conversation with Dr. Michael Goran. Really, it's no surprise how sugar affects the health, but it's really interesting to know the how may, how addictive it can be and how it's just everywhere. And, and we thinking about that breakfast analogy. You can have 50, 60, 70 grams of sugar with no problem. So start making those interventions, get the book, start changing your child's palate to be less hyper palatable to sugar and getting away from that bliss point. Rate, review, subscribe, go on the YouTube. If you haven't subscribed on the YouTube, yeah, give show some love, even if you don't watch YouTube. Show us some love, right? This is what we do. I can't wait to to, uh, present next week some really good information and I hope you all have a great, great week.